Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Inner Light Project. My name is Gerds Hundle and today I have a stunning guest with me who's helping people to heal their health and well-being. Heather Dane is a health coach and 21st century medicine woman who combines ancient wisdom with her American lineage with holistic health and nutrition. She has co-authored books with Louise Hay and hosts the Loving Yourself to Great Health on Hay House radio show. She believes we can all heal from the inside out. Heather, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show again and thank you for joining us. Hi Gertz, I'm so happy to be back. Oh bless you, I just love talking to you and just some of the conversations that we have. And last time we spoke about your story, how you transformed your life, we've talked about the bone broth secret, indigenous and epigenetic healing and it's it's just been so interesting learning about lots of things from yourself and this time I just would love to talk to you about the power of shining our light and listening to that voice of our ancestors. So my first question is, when did you first start hearing your ancestors' voices? I think I was probably tuned in when I was young, but didn't realize it. Mm. Um, I had a lot of dreams, and I had a lot of dreams that came true. And I think if many of us think back to our childhood, we were much more open to the magic and the mystery of life. Yeah. And I, I found myself reveling in my dreams I would actually as a child wake up and really um, lie there in my in that moment between sleep and waking and really go over the dreams that I was having and then it, if a week later the dream came true I would be surprised and and really just embracing the magic of life and at some point that went away hmm. at some point and I think you know over the years especially as we get caught up in the stress of life, but physiologically what starts to happen is as we get stressed and we start dumping minerals and B vitamins, we stop dreaming. Mm -hmm. Our dreams actually go away. And I think it's kind of interesting that the more we get into the grind of life, the more all of the nutrients that we need to keep us in a space of dreaming start to go away. And then some of us lose our dreams and that happened to me. I stopped dreaming. I stopped dreaming to the extent that I was, and I stopped paying attention to my dreams when I woke up in the morning. And I, at some point, I began asking myself, why am I not paying attention to my dreams and why am I not dreaming anymore? And I began to work on my health and work on the nutrients that start to go away. Like one of the vitamins that tends to be deficient if you're not dreaming is vitamin B6. And B6 is also helpful for energy and moods and, uh, you know, just a, a sense of feeling grounded. It's good for nerves and things like that. And so I started to pay attention to B6 in my diet as well as in my, um, in my supplements. And my dreams started to come back again. And I began to pay attention to them a little bit more. And I really wanted to sink back into that feeling, that childhood feeling that I used to have where I would love my dreams. So I started to pay attention again. And about three years ago, as my dreams were coming back 
in a more vivid way. And, and I was remembering them when I woke up, I was aware of the fact that my great grandmother was coming to me in my dreams and my great grandmother on my uh, father's side, which is my Haudenosaunee or Iroquois side of the family. um, She was an activist and a leader and also a seer. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that she had psychic qualities until I sat with my cousins and we began sharing stories about her. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize all of the ways in which she was, you know, very certain of things like, what um, gender a baby was going to be or whether someone was pregnant or not pregnant and many other things. She was just, she just had this quality of sight and vision. And it was amazing to learn that and learn sort of the threads of where that was running through our family. And so I, I, she was coming to me in my dreams and she was performing ceremony with me. Wow. And I didn't know what the ceremonies were because while I grew up, understanding about my culture and really identifying with my culture as a Native American woman, I did not grow up in the culture. So I didn't grow up going to ceremony and doing all of the traditions that my cousins had grown up doing. And so I didn't understand what was going on. And I just watched and paid attention and felt the magic of what was happening in my dreams. And in my dreams, she was, um, there was, she would bring me in deep into the forest and she would, um, have me lie down on the ground and around me were what all I could, um, understand was that they were ancestors and guides around me and that they were facing outwards in this circle around me. And and I had the sense that they were there to protect us in this ceremony. And she was um, basically doing sage ceremonies and other medicine ceremonies, And the more I would ask to be shown exactly what she was doing, the more I would be shown that I would, I would see the herbs that she was using or the medicines that she was using. And, and, um, I would get up and I would look into them and I would ask my family and I would look them up in, in, um, in medical botany books in Iroquois medical botany books and things like that. And I would learn kind of what was going on. And and I would realize that there was actually a logic, the things she was showing me in my dreams were actually things that were done in our culture. So it was, it was really interesting to me to to realize that our dreams are more powerful than we think. And here I am now an adult, you know, (laughs) um, well past the childhood mysticism, but, but almost connecting, reconnecting to that mysticism and the magic that, I could be having a dream about something that was actually real in our traditions. And at this point, you know, I had studied genetics and epigenetics. And so I understood that there was something outside of our DNA that helped us heal. And that as I dove into the science, our dreams, which were very important in Native American cultures and other cultures like the Buddhist culture, dreams are also very important and people pay attention to them. And so I began to, in the science, find why story, ritual, ceremony, dreams, why food and thoughts and beliefs, why these things actually do change our DNA. And we don't get to see these studies very often. You know, it's not like somebody's advertising them, like they (laughs) advertise the drug studies all the time, but they're not advertising to us the studies that we can do at home ourselves, Mm. like paying attention to our dreams and sharing our stories and diving into our ancestral lineage. We know today from epigenetics that emotions, behaviors, and um, even things like ritual reconnect us to those parts of our DNA that remember 
that remember that those things were, we had many more thousands of years in humanity where those things were what we did to heal than we have today. And from a Native American perspective, when medicine people would choose medicines for people, they didn't just hand the medicine to someone and say, see you later. They would bring the medicine to someone and there would be ceremony, ritual, singing, chanting, prayer. There would be community. There would be other aspects of healing that went with that medicine. Because in Native American medicine, they understood the placebo effect before science did double-blind studies about the placebo effect. They understood that if our mind was embracing the fact that this was going to work and our community was there to support that belief, that people would have an ex an exponential level of healing. And so those things were all used in understanding that there was a mind-body experience to healing. It's interesting you were talking about childhood dreams because you just took me back. Um, my niece, when I was when she was really young, um, wow, she, she's very psychic. <laughs> um, she must have been about six years old and um, she turned around to um, her mom's, uh, mom's sister and said, and she was pregnant at the time, she said, you're having a girl, but you're not having a baby. And she just looked at it like, what are you talking about? And unfortunately, she had a miscarriage. And then the next time when she was pregnant, she said, you're having a girl. And she was right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. She used to, we used to be great. so like shocked about it. And, but it just shows how powerful when we're kids, like the innocence and the trust in our intuition and listening to the voices from within that we are in that, we are shining our light. It's like you said, well, later on, when we stop allowing ourselves to dream, that that kind of disappears. Um, right. And another thing that just was really interesting, what you were just saying about you were seeing these ceremonies. Um, myself, I, grow, I was growing up, I was seeing a lot of spirit animals, but I never really understood why I kept seeing a crocodile or why I kept seeing a snake. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when you look into the meaning behind it, it's like, wow. Like it's about slowing down, making yourself grounded. It, it's so powerful. Yes. Our dreams can show us a lot. And the thing about the dream dreams is that they're in the unseen. And mm. I think in childhood, we have a healthier respect for the unseen because we live a lot in our imaginations yeah. in childhood. And we have, you know, we have these imaginary worlds that we love to be in and people have imaginary friends. And um, when you're playing, when we play as children, we're oftentimes creating imaginary scenarios and in, in playing. And these are all things that actually are um, promote, promoting health, this, this healthy sense of play and this ability to, to have an imagination and, and believe in that imagination. These are all things that as adults, if we still had a connection to, it would help us follow our dreams a little bit more because whenever we have a dream, you want to make something happen in your life. It starts first in the unseen. It hasn't been born yet. It hasn't come to physical reality yet. So it, we've got to believe somehow in the unseen in order to have the courage to keep moving forward. And our dream world is the unseen world. It's where things are happening that we're, we're still processing. We know this from a science perspective. We're processing in our dreams. We're actually, if we stop processing in our dreams, things can get stuck in our, mm -hmm. in our psyche and in our, in our subconscious. And that's where we start to get into trouble. And when we allow things to process in the unseen, um, a lot of uh, connections can be made and a lot of traumas can be moved through in that space. And in Native American medicine, there's, there's a lot of healthy belief in the unseen. And we believe that if we're operating in the unseen in this 
what we think is darkness, but really is no thing. There's actually a lot of connection in the unseen and a lot of opportunities to make things happen in the unseen or to believe things in the unseen that we can use as a place to start. Because as we use our imagination and we become attuned to what we would like to resolve or what we would like to manifest, it allows us to have our radar up so that when we're in the seen world, we're in the physical world, we can pay attention to those things that we need to take action on. And it's where intuition starts. Mm. And if we operate on our intuition, intuition is not woo-woo. Intuition is is actually how our brain is putting a lot of puzzle pieces together that don't make sense until they come together. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Gavin DeBecker did a, a, a book called the, the I think it's The Gift of Fear, and he was a, a person who worked on security for celebrities and, and a lot of people who had who needed extra help with security. And he started asking people, did you know something was going to happen before it happened? Like before something terrible happened, before a crime was committed, before something happened for the people who survived, he would say, did you have a feeling or a sense that it was going to happen? And every single person said yes. And he tells a story about a guy who walked into a convenience store and something just didn't feel right. And he left. Mm. And a a few minutes later, somebody shot everybody in the convenience store, including the the person at at, at the cash register, because... What happened to this guy is he walked in and all he was doing was reading signs that wouldn't make any, there would be no proof to these things until after it happened. But he read a look with the cashier. He read body language. He read the positioning of the things that he saw there and it didn't feel good to him. So he turned around and left. (laughs) If he had just said, oh, gee. Let's just ignore all of that because how this this doesn't make any logical sense. He would have been one of the victims in that crime. Wow. wow. So he was reading a lot of messages that, you know, make a lot of sense, but don't make sense in that one snap moment when we're following our gut. Yeah. And and this is the thing, we get taught to dismiss it. <laughs> and the people who were victims of crimes actually said, I walked into the elevator. I felt wrong right before I walked in and I dismissed it. So I think it's this idea that if we're, if we're trusting these unseen signals and these unseen communications and messages and honoring them, we allow a whole form of, of communication in the unseen that, that can help us on our path. Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's, that's mind blowing. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's kind of like my dear, like um, we spoke a few weeks ago when um my uncle passed away. Um, I had I don't know, I can't remember if I actually told you the full story, but um I got a message from one of my other um uncles saying something had happened to somebody. And I heard the voice of my great grand um sorry, my grandfather, who I never met, he passed away when um my pet my mum was really young, and I heard his voice saying he's safe now. And I, and I, I was in the car and I was like, what, what's that about? And I knew that somebody had passed away. And then 10 minutes later, I got a phone call from my mum saying that my uncle passed away. It was just, it was mind blowing. Like if we trust in that intuition that we always know, like if something's going to happen to somebody, right. Like we're so connected, but we, we sometimes, like you said, we ignore those signs. Um, right. And it was just like, 
I'd never, I've never met my granddad. <laughs> um, he passed when my mum was nine. I've only seen a photo of him. So the fact that I heard his voice, that says a lot. <laughs> it does say a lot. So you were getting, he was communicating with you and maybe giving you a little bit of a heads up so that you were prepared, right, for the, for the news. Because the news of our loved ones passing is so um, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you had a, you already had a seed planted so that the shock could be less, it seems to me, which is quite a gift from the unseen to sort of prepare you in that way. Um, and, and I just want to express my condolences to you for, for your loss. And the thing is that, that in, in Native American culture and many other cultures around the world, if we go back to the sort of old ways of our ancestors, Grief was something that was a community-based experience. When one person had a loss, the community shared the loss. Yeah. And in sharing that loss, the person in grief was not alone. Mm-hmm. And there was all oftentimes a year of time that was expected to, to move through and navigate through the process of grief so that it didn't feel as if you, you know, grief was something you would feel and have to put away to go back to work right away or to go back to your life right away. And it's not that anyone was wallowing in it. It was just the the acknowledgement that this is going to take some time. And so let's find some ceremonies and rituals and ways to navigate through this time. And let's do this together so that you Mm. have support. And when we lose that, Mm. it's... When grief is not fully processed, and I don't feel like we give ourselves the opportunity to fully process grief, we're supposed to just kind of get strong right away. Um, I think that it's one of those things that can stay in the body and become anxiety or become depression or become an emotion that we don't fully understand. Physical symptoms can crop up Hmm. and because we've not allowed it to continue to move. We've not allowed the sort of the sacred hoop of life to be walked where we can go from one end of the circle to the other and find a space where we can honor the fact that it's going to take time. Yeah. And what was my dear, what was really interesting this time? And it's so true what you're saying, because um, about three and a half years ago, my grandma passed away and I thought I'd dealt with it. And like, um, but back then I kind of had a way of just putting on like a front, everything's okay. When it came to grief, I healed a lot of other things, but grief was something that I had forgotten about. And so when my uncle passed away, it was like reminding me, I heard my grandma's voice. I heard lots of different voices. I heard my dad's mom's voice. And it reminded me that I needed to heal the, the, the grieving part of my journey. And I literally wrote, a letter to all of them individually and when I burnt the letters wow um it was like I was ready to release the old energy like you said that that's stored in your in your body and <laughs> a weird thing happened that night that um a massive power cut happened in the area which was like right I've got my sign <laughs> mm-hmm. like there you go yeah. so that's that's the thing you keep reconnecting right and yeah. when you reconnect like that you get these communications and it helps you to, it helps to, to navigate that experience. You know, it's, it's the, it's the, the mystery and the magic of it all. And I think that being connected to that mystery and magic allows us to receive. Mm. Everybody wants to know how they can trust and listen to their intuition more. And these are the signs that if you weren't paying attention, Gerds, you would be, you would be missing out yeah. right on those communications. Yeah, it's so true. 
Um, my dear, I wanted to go back a little bit um, because you were talking about how um, your ancestors and like you were hearing these sounds. I guess that was like your ancestors like giving you the whispers to kind of shine your light. I think so. I mean, it certainly was, uh, you know, for someone who is of mixed ancestry, um, and, and I know you can understand this too, where you feel like you don't belong anywhere. You know, like I grew up with a lot of people saying, you're not white, what are you? Mm. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not Native American enough and I'm not white enough and I'm not whatever I am enough, you know? And so I, having not lived on the reservation, was very disconnected. Mm. And what, what's really interesting is about six months into the dreaming, six months to a year into the dreaming of my great grandmother, I met for the first time a cousin of mine who was my, um, my great grandmother and her great grandmother were sisters Mm -hmm. and they together were the first people to bring land claim cases for our Oneida nation to the mm. federal claims courts because all of our land had been taken away. We had millions of acres of land in treaty that was, was supposed to be our land. And over the years, as the land became very valuable, the federal government just you know reneged on the treaties and just took the land over and pushed our nation aside until there was no land left. And so they, my great-grandmother and her sister and their family grew up on a neighboring reservation. And it, you're sort of like borrowing that space. Mm-hmm. It, it's not your land. You're borrowing the land of, you know, yes, it was in our Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And so they were sisters and brothers, but they were still, um, it still was not our land. And so in the 1940s and 50s, when, you know, even before women had much voice and power in the in the European colonized world of the United States, because Haudenosaunee women actually had a lot of um, power and were equals to men before that. Yeah. So they grew up knowing sort of what that felt like in essence. Yeah. And they, they got together and they took the, these land claims to the federal government and they were the the beginning of getting land back. Wow. And so over the years, as this as this, their activism continued, more people got involved in our families and, um, they've been written about in books. And, and so it's, they were the first people to get together and do that. And I thought about what would, what would, um, be the heart beating inside a woman in the 1940s and in the 1950s to, to do this, not just Mm. to get, you know, to do something active and go to the federal government, but also, in a more um, difficult situation of being a minority Hmm. or viewed as a minority in, in their own country to come and fight for these, these um, land claims. And so they were activists and they really did a lot. And here the two of us got together and met each other for the first time, my cousin, Michelle, and we, we, as we met each other, it was like we had known each other our entire lives. And we said we were going to do something together. And a little over a year ago, we got together and we, um, my cousin started a, she had a vision of bringing women together across the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And she, um, she started a group and she asked me to be on the planning committee with her. So I helped her with a group of women create this event for more than 200 Haudenosaunee women and some Cherokee women actually came as well. And we had a weekend of healing. And 
you know, it was one of those things where you almost think it's impossible to bring to make this happen because we only had six months to plan. And yet everything came together like magic. And when my cousin got busy because she's doing another degree, she's a, a um, got her law degree in a couple of different areas and she's getting another degree right now. When she got busy, she handed the reins over to me and I ran the group. And so it was like, you know, I just felt like when she handed me the reins, I felt like this was something that our great grandmothers would have loved to see us doing. And it just felt like we were doing something on their behalf. And since all of these women got together, I had an opportunity to participate in traditional ceremony and go into the longhouse, which is where we have our, have meetings and ceremonies and, um, and come together. And I got to do all of these traditional things that I had not grown up doing. I had grown up with parts and pieces, but never in a full situation where I was learning and taking part in and where my body was feeling the, the reminder of these rituals and these ceremonies. And that was the, when I got back, it was within three weeks, Louise Hay had died. And so I was going through grief on my own, but yet I had all of these women with me and they were, even though I'm living in California and they're in upstate New York and Wisconsin and parts of Canada, we all got together on the phone regularly and we got on the phone shortly after Louise passed and um, there were prayers and acknowledgement for the grief that I was experiencing. Mm. And there were prayers and acknowledgement for some other people who are experiencing grief from loss. And I just felt like I had not only, you know, I was sort of leaning back into my ancestors, but I was leaning into this group of women mm. who were sharing this grief with me and who, and for whom I was sharing grief and, and it, it helped me to feel strong. And it, and we were doing ceremonies together. It's a group of women who are honoring one of the women in the Haudenosaunee culture who was a, was working with our peacemaker to create peace among our nations. And wow. so we were meeting to honor and and continue ritual and ceremony around the strength of women in bringing peace and, and healing to communities. And and so being a part of those ceremonies and rituals and and being a part of that group. I felt gave me a, um, an, an, an easier path through the grief. Wow. Wow. I have no words again, Heather. <laughs> wow. It's so true. You're right. When we, when we help one another, we, we rise together as well. And it's so interesting, actually. I never really thought about it. Like even within like ethnic communities, when somebody passes away, everybody comes together and yes. I never really understood that now until you've just explained it, that why we have that, where everyone comes to the house and then why is it um, when the ceremony is happening, everybody's kind of around in a circle. It, it's because we're healing together. Yes. And we're empowering and we under- And circles are important. I think there we see hmm. circles everywhere in nature. We see circles in our, you know, DNA is just a series of circle, circles and a double helix and our bones are round and our cells are round and we have all these circles everywhere. And circles remind us that um, we come and go in life. We never, there's never a beginning or an ending. There's just the middle. And we come and go in life. We come in in the middle and we end in the middle. And and we, we have people who've come before us and people who are coming after us. And if we remember the people coming before us and remember their wisdom and their guidance and, and trust in that, and then we also remember the people coming after us. So we, mm. 
we take and we take from this world and we treat this world in ways where we're thinking about the future people who are coming after us. And that's sustainability and it's it's environmentalism. It's our ancestors just lived that because they understood the circle of life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the things that connects all of humanity. I mean, we will find those circles everywhere. They're probably in the oldest um, drawings that we find on the walls Mm. of caves and rocks. And they're um, they're they're represented because they're they were considered important. And even if you just visualize a circle right now, Mm. just visualize that shape and even put yourself in the middle of it. It's it it's a reminder just in seeing that. It kind of reminds me of, do you know, um, we're talking like generations before us, but like when somebody was sick, like, for example, I'll talk about people from like the rainforest, like, so um, when someone's ill, they, the person would lean down in the mid, sorry, in the middle and everybody around them would just chant and heal together. Yes. It's just- and even, even today, if you go to a hospital, I mean, when my husband's grandfather died, oh. it was early in our marriage when he died and we all just stood around him in a circle. Oh wow. As he was as he was dying and he had his whole family around him but we were around him in a circle and I think that when you have enough people in a hospital room it just naturally I mean we're around the bed in a circle it's just a natural occurrence. You don't have eight people all standing in a line. Wow. You know, you have yeah. everyone surrounding the person because we understand what it's like to surround someone and whenever we're doing that we're naturally forming a circle. Wow. Wow. It's just amazing. Wow. Yeah. It's it's interesting that we, we know of these things, but we never really pay attention to what the meaning is behind it. Right. And right. We know we, f- we feel into things. And, and this is why I, I find it fascinating because, you know, when Donna Eden, who wrote the book Energy Medicine, mm-hmm. when she began, she can see energy. And so when she began working with the energy and doing these movements and gestures and and things to work with that energy, she would go back into the research and find out that there were cultures all over the world who were doing these same movements. Yeah. And now you begin to wonder, how were they sensing that energy? Mm. Because they were living with their bare feet on the ground, all yes. of our ancestors, yeah. and had their bare feet on the ground, and they, were, they wore skins for clothing. Oh, yeah. And we know today that these skins had communication to the body, Um, they created a, they reminded the body where it was in space. And now we wear a lot of synthetic and light fabrics that don't do that. Mm. And so there are a lot of people with immune issues who in, in one of the problems in immune issues is the, the body stops communicating properly. The immune system stops communicating properly. So we don't know the difference between self and other. And the skins actually would remind the body, here's where you are, here's where you end, begin and end. And here's where the other person's energy begins and ends. And so you would know the difference easier between your your energy and someone else's energy with those skins because the skins were there to remind you. And so it's, we just don't have that anymore. And, And we have a lot of energetically sensitive people running around with nothing to remind them about the difference between their energetic boundary and someone else's. And if you take a person who's having immune issues and every person with immune issues also has gut leaky gut, because once the Mm. immune system gets diffuse and stops communicating the gut, um, they found in studies that every gut is leaky when the immune system isn't communicating it properly anymore. So we don't know the difference between self and other. The gut is now leaky, which means that as the gut is 
as um, food is leaking through the gut that shouldn't be, it's creating a, an inflammation signal to the body. So now the body has to go deal with it and it's on autoimmune or possibly it's so busy dealing with it that it's the immune system isn't strong enough to deal with a virus or another pathogen. So that's where you get things like cancer. But then you get mm. um, a leaky brain and this is where we get into brain fog because yeah. you, you know, so much inflammation where the immune system is constantly on alert and dealing with it, the blood brain barrier starts to get leaky. So think about this. Everything's getting leaky. The immune system is diffuse and, and it's busy dealing with things it shouldn't have to deal with. So it's not tight and controlled and in communication the way it should be. And the gut is not, not now leaky. And now the brain's, the blood brain barrier is leaky and inflammation is getting into the brain. And now we've got brain fog, depression, anxiety, um, Alzheimer's, dementia, you know, as this continues on. If this can, keeps continuing on, then we move into Alzheimer's, depression dementia mm. and other forms of um, memory loss. So think about, think about leaky mm. memory. Yeah. We've forgotten the things that can keep us connected. We've moved so far away from the things that keep us connected, starting with our connection with our ancestors, mm. our con which is our DNA. That is our DNA. Our DNA is a blueprint from our mother and father which they got from their mother and father, which they got from their mother and father. So by the time it gets to us, we are some version of our ancestors at the DNA level. Yeah. And um, it's like how we've, like when we were young, we didn't have hardly any technology around us or like mobile phones and computers. And now we have all these devices that it kind of takes us away from ourselves. And, yes. and our ancestors and I guess like it was interesting that you were saying about the skin the clothing I guess those were like the voices of our ancestors reminding us of who we are and where we're heading well we were we were um everything we did was all all of life I mean we clothed ourselves in, in mm. nature and we paid attention to the cycles of nature and we watched for things imagine um, someone who can find their way. I mean, I can barely find my way in my car unless I have my GPS on, <laughs> but they can find their way from one end of something to another and walk for miles and remember the bend of a branch mm. or the way the landscape changed and they could find their way from one end to the other. And they weren't just, they weren't just looking and using their eyes or they're trying to remember they were feeling things. Mm. And so if you take people who are so connected that they could they could sense they could hear a branch move and sense that it was a tiger wow. or they could hear um they could feel the shift in the wind they had been through enough uh they had been through enough things like a, a solar eclipse where everything goes silent mm. all of nature goes silent in an in a solar eclipse and so they've been through those moments where nature the sounds of nature change and, and when you're attuned to those things, you start to understand what it was that made that sound. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've been out in nature and, you know, camping or something like that. And I hear something that sounds like a huge animal is around, but it was just a squirrel breaking a branch <laughs> and it sounded really loud and it's this <laughs> tiny little thing. And, but the more you're, you, you are mm -hmm. in those situations, the more you learn what different sounds mean. Yeah. So you, we, our ancestors were simply using more of their senses and less of their logical brain, our frontal lobe, which is the, the small part of our brain. They were using a larger part of their brain because they were also using the intuitive parts of the brain. So we have a brain in our gut, we have brain tissue in the gut, we have brain tissue in the heart, 
And then we have all this intuitive brain tissue on our right brain and our head. And so we're not, we're not taught to tune into those parts. Mm. And so we lose the, we don't always lose the fact that we sense those things, but now when we sense them and we dismiss them, they can become stress in the body because we're not honoring it. So let's say you're saying, Oh, I'm looking for a sign and you get a sign, you get a signal. It was, uh, for me, it was gut, uh, gut pain. Mm. And I would say, give me a sign and I get gut pain and I dismiss it. I would think Mm. that that was just some old symptom coming back because I didn't realize that in my wiring from a, a Chinese medicine perspective where I, where I experience intuition is often in my, in my gut. That's mm-hmm. other people might experience it through emotions or through other symptoms. And so, you know, you, you miss the signals or you dismiss them. You've still got the stress of whatever that signal was. It's trying to communicate with you and you're dismissing it. Now that's what the immune system is doing in the body. The immune system has got to communicate in order to keep us healthy. And when it loses its ability to communicate, that's where things start to go wrong. So I like to think about that as what is the lesson there? We all, there's so many things, there's so many signals that we're dismissing because we don't like the way the signal came to us. We don't like that it came to us as a (laughs) symptom and it's pain. We don't like that it's an emotion that's anything less than positive. We don't like that it came in the form of um, some person who was rude. Mm. You know, whatever the signal is and however it came, it was a dream and I can't, and nobody's going to believe me when I tell them about my dream right? We don't like the signal. And so we dismiss it, but it's still there. Mm. And so now it creates stress. And the more stress we have, the more the nervous system gets hit. And the more the immune system then gets hit and the more symptoms come up, (laughs) you know, and this is why symptoms get louder and louder and louder until we finally pay attention. So for me (laughs) with the gut symptom, there was a period of time when I didn't, I dismissed it, dismissed it, dismissed it until the point where I couldn't walk because my gut was in so much pain. And finally I was like, okay, because I told my body, give me a signal. <laughs> you know, and I dismissed, dismissed, dismissed. I didn't want, I didn't believe or want to think that that was the signal until I was on the ground. And I had to say to my husband, go get the car. Cause I can't walk. And he, you know, this was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And he went and got the car and I was like, I'm ready to listen. Yeah, it's I, I totally relate with you, Heather. It's like with my kidney. <laughs> yes. I was pushing, 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 not listening, collapsing, pushing, pushing, pushing. And it was like, right, I'm going to show you what you need to learn. <laughs> right. And think of what the kidney is in Chinese medicine. It's your willpower. Yeah. They believe it's it's your where, where all your energy comes from. Mm. And I, I think that that's, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion of what, is it the kidney or is it the adrenals, which sit on top of the kidneys, the little organs on top of the kidneys. It's a little bit of both, but I think that the kidneys are sort of like when you say shine your inner light, the mm. kidneys are like our inner light of energy and willpower. And it's how we get the will to move forward in our lives. And, and we often will try to get by on willpower. So we're <laughs> recruiting our kidneys and our adrenals yeah. instead of resting. Yes. And the more we do that, the more we overdrive our energy and the more we tire ourselves out and you can't shine your light if you're tired, you know, (laughs) you can only go at half at, at half, um, half of your level of energy or some small amount of your level Mm -hmm. of energy when you're tired. And so, you know, you, you started to listen because you want to shine your light. Yeah, that was my that was my big lesson actually was because I you're right actually I was pushing so much beyond that I could do living off three hours sleep many like probably about four years ago, um 
and my body just was like enough <laughs> learn mm-hmm. learn to flow and learn to be balanced and trust the intuition like we were talking about earlier trust that that intuition and what is it your body saying what does it need in that moment and as I started to honor that then everything kind of made sense and why things were happening and yeah wow it's so powerful <laughs> yeah um my dear I want to talk to you um about your journey with sage if that's possible okay because I feel like we all kind of know about sage but it has to fall into our laps if you see what I mean at the right timing so when did sage kind of come into your world well I've known about sage for a long time just growing up and you know I I, I would have um things like you know, sweet grass and sage around when I was growing up, but I had them and I kind of knew what they were, but I hadn't really spent time in, in, in the truth of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, many cultures use sage and, and sage is also often used as a new age type thing and people make up their own ceremonies and stuff like that. Oh. So one of the things that I, I wanted to do was I was sort of getting back into my, the deep and traditional aspects of my own culture. And I recommend that everyone go to their own cultural plants and sacred ceremonies. Um, but, mm-hmm. but sage is a nice place to start. I mean, sage in native American culture, it's believed that sage drives away negative energy and we have sweet grass, which attracts positive energy. And then we have cedar purify. And, and then we also have tobacco, which is an important plant. And this isn't, you know, okay. cigarette tobacco. This is the unprocessed, unrefined tobacco, <laughs> also cornmeal. And these things are, are often used to offer thanks in, um, before ceremony and prayers and things like that. And even before sage, sage ceremony. So de- diving into the, um, the real reverent aspects of those culture, those, um, cultural, rituals and ceremonies was, was what was more important to me than the aspect of, you know, this disconnected, let me burn the sage and run through my house kind of thing, which is probably about the most I really did prior to diving deep. And what I love about the idea of sage is it's really working with energy. First of all, you have the plant Mm -hmm. and the meaning of that plant and sage is a, also a very healing plant. You can make teas with it and you can do a number of different things um, with sage to to use the healing aspects of that plant. And some people have uh, sage essential oil that they work with. And, and for people who don't like smoke, I will often, if I'm teaching a class where I'm mm. teaching people how to reconnect to their ancestors, I'll often do a sage ceremony. And if there are people in the room who can't handle the smoke for a variety of reasons. I also have a backup plan, which is a sage spray, you know, Mm. an essential oil spray. And so we can do the same thing with, with an essential oil spray that, that brings the energy of that healing plant to drive Mm. away the negative energy. And so if you think about saging or smudging, it's something that we often do before and after big ceremonies because of that clarifying and, and purifying energy. And it, there's an idea of burning the sage and you burn it just so that it's smoking. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be smoking like crazy. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know, going nuts or anything like that, but just a nice, you, you, you blow out the flame and you've got a nice smoking quality to the sage. Mm-hmm. And you then go into a place where you take the smoke with your hands and you cup your hands and, you bring the smoke and you put it to your head face and smell the smoke. And again, you're being engaged. You bring in the smoke and you put it to your heart 
and then you go down to your legs and you know somebody if somebody's saging you they'll go in a clockwise direction and sage the rest of it all the way down to your feet mm. and you can be asking for things like clearing your mind clearing your eyes of any burden so that you can see clearing your mouth of any um old thinking or any stuck places so that you can speak with your voice and you can be thinking about the things that you're letting go of as you're as you're cupping that smoke and bringing it around your body and then we would say um facing the direct direction of the creator the direction of the north just saying nyawa or thank you and you could do this every day you could do this for special ceremonies that you want to do um but it really can set the stage to bring you into a place of where you're ready to to sink into a meditation or to sink into a ceremony yeah i find that um sage is so sage. powerful it's about two years ago when i kind of fell into it um and i saged the house and wow <laughs> I felt like a new, it's like the house almost becomes like refreshed and like yes. any old emotions. Cause we don't realize that from the moment somebody has built the house to the painting, the walls, to the sofa that you, you get or anything in the house that has energy and that's yes. stored energy. And a lot of us don't realize that that sometimes even something on the bottom of our shoe <laughs> that brings energy into the house and that there's a reason for everything. And that with saging, it allows you to, almost like clear the old clutter and just release whatever's in your space and just yes bring a fresh approach I guess is probably the right way exactly you know 10 years ago before I had really gotten deep into into saging uh I was saging a little you know and one there was one period of time when my husband and I were selling our house and we were buying a new house and the people who were selling this house that we were buying were very difficult to work with. Oh. And part of what was making them difficult to work with is they had had this house on the market for a while and they, the, the a family of four children grew up and lived their entire lives in that house. Oh. And so they were, and their mother died in that house and they were having oh. a very difficult time emotionally, even though they oh. knew they had to sell the house and, yeah. and they all had plans to move, you know, the, the father who was still living there had plans to move on. And so, at the last week when, when we had gotten through all these hurdles to, to purchase the house and we were supposed to be moving in within a couple of days, we had packed our house up, our current house up and everything was packed and everything was in the moving truck and everything was gone. And we were told by them that they wanted one extra week to go do a ceremony in the house. Now this house had been for sale for a year and a half. So I, I'm sitting there with nothing in my house, no bed, no nothing, saying, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> they, they've had a year and a half to do a ceremony and they're doing it and asking for an extra week. And we've all signed papers to agree that it was going to be, you know, the next day. Mm. And so we're sitting there in our car, getting ready to leave our empty house when we get this news. And we're sitting there thinking another week, where, what are we going to do now? We have to get a hotel. We don't have all of our stuff, you know, the whole thing. So I'm angry at this mm. point. Now I'm angry. It's like, we've gotten to this point. I'm totally stressed out. <laughs> so, um, I got some sage and I went back into our current home and I put on some music. My cousin, Joanne Shenandoah is a Grammy award winning native American singer and her, her music is really beautiful. Oh. And I've loved it all my life. 
And so I put on her CD and I lit the stage and a song came on and I didn't know the name of the song or, and I didn't understand the words because she was singing it in our native language. Mm -hmm. And I walked through the house, saging our current house. And I began to feel this tremendous forgiveness. And I began to feel this tremendous relief of what had been pent up anger over all of the roadblocks that were, that, that I felt this family was putting in front of us. And I didn't, I wanted to know what was that song because I, as the song was playing, I was, it was as if something was communicating through me. Wow. And I went and I looked and it was called Iyanwatha Forgives, which is about Hiawatha. And it's all about, um, when Hiawatha's children had been, had been murdered by one of the warring tribes, um, and, and how Hiawatha learned to transmute all of this into deep forgiveness and became a big part of this peace process to bring all of the nations, the six nations together in the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. And I didn't know any of that. I didn't know that's what was being sung. I didn't know any of that. And so it was called Iyanwatha Forgives. And I thought, you know, that was the first inkling that I had that our language, our native language Mm -hmm. can be healing. That my DNA still understood something about the vibration of that, that sound of the language And that my body shifted and I felt this healing and this forgiveness when I heard those words, even though I didn't, my brain didn't understand them, something in my body did. And as I went back and started to look at at scientific studies, because I always love, I mean, not that science has to prove everything, but I love to find out if someone else has been curious enough to study. (laughs) And they have done studies and they have Um, There has been a lot of discussion about how, you know, in terms of epigenetics, that 95% of things outside of our genes that help us heal, Mm. that science is is trying to understand after they did the Human Genome Project and realized that our genes are only responsible for 5% of our health and that there's this stuff outside and above and around our genes that really determine our health. Things like, you know, what we think, what we believe, what's in our environment. Uh, the food that we're eating, those things, the stress that we live with in our lifestyle, the relationships that we have in our lives, those things make up much more of our health than science ever realized until they did this project with scientists from around the world. And so this is why, you know, all of the studies that have been done, why does ritual work? Why does ceremony work? Why does prayer work? Why does meditation work? And they, and they're telling us why in the studies that when they do these studies, they're finding that they work. And this is the mystical side of things. It's the unseen. We don't know exactly why they work, but we know from the studies that they do. Mm. And so those are the studies that don't get done as often and they don't get advertised as much because there's Mm. no money in them. I guess it's because people see it as woo-woo and it's something we're slowly, society's slowly coming towards, but it's only because of the rise of the internet that we're questioning things more than ever. Yes, and the more I, I laugh so hard when a new study <laughs> comes out that proves that, you know, sharing our stories, actually, if we share our story of trauma, it helps us to heal. The oh my healing God. goes up by 35 oh percent. You know, I, when I see these studies like Harvard did an 80 year study where they found out that the biggest contributor to health, happiness and longevity is your community and your relationships. Oh, my God. Points, of, points of connection. So. You know, and yeah. they've been following hundreds of people for for 80 years. So they've been able to track people. Mm. And 
it, I find it fascinating whenever these studies come out because those of us who've studied ancient medicines like Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese yeah. medicine, Native American medicine, we laugh and laugh mm -hmm. because our ancestors knew this already. Yeah, It's just that, they, that it was dismissed because somebody in a lab <laughs> with double blind controlled blah blah hadn't already come out and proven mm. that this that this unseen thing that we could feel actually worked yeah. so when you go out into nature and you feel better we have tons of studies to prove that mm. it works yeah. tons of studies but we don't trust our feeling <laughs> right what the heck is that why yeah. do, why do we dismiss how we feel when you're around someone that you don't trust and you don't feel right and you just keep saying, yeah, but they're my boss or yeah, but they're my, they're famous or yeah, but they're whatever it is that they are that you're convincing yourself that you have still have to be friends with them. And then two years later, all the evidence comes to the table that this person's actually been betraying you, that they've been, you know, doing, they've embezzled, whatever it is. And you already knew yeah. in the beginning. <laughs> Oh gosh, you're making me laugh as well. <laughs> it's so true. And it's it's amazing. Like, even if we don't even listen to those signs, the universe will take that person out of your life some way or another. <laughs> yes. For you to learn. Yes. And if, if we feel victimized by it and we and we create a story that we've been a victim instead of saying yeah. life just gave me the opportunity in a very harsh way mm. because I knew and I didn't listen. <laughs> and look, no blame. I've I find myself questioning why I didn't listen many times, you know, because, because feel, we don't grow up learning how to trust our feelings. And it's until we deeply surrender to these signals and say right away, I just met this person and they have a great resume and they're really nice and they're being so nice to me. And so I'm just going to dismiss the feeling that I have because everything appears to be fine, you know, and it's until we have enough evidence and we pay attention enough that we realize that I, you know, it's time to step back and surrender to the yeah. signal and stop looking at the surface yeah. of the seen world. We have to trust the unseen. Mm -hmm. We have to find ways to trust the way we feel and to honor ourselves. And honestly, I think that we're blocking our ability to love ourselves yeah. if we're not trusting those signals, because we're basically saying, you don't matter. You don't matter. You don't matter. You mm -hmm. don't matter all day long. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, like as little kids, when we have these ideas and we think they're brilliant and our parents tell us they're silly yeah. or no, no, you can't do it. And we're, we're being told we don't matter. And then we spend our lives thinking I have to go back and undo all those messages. My parents, my teachers, the leaders of the world told me where I couldn't do things. Gosh, yes. Well, we're telling ourselves all day long. You don't matter. You don't matter. That doesn't matter. You know, don't look, this person's smarter than I am. So I should be listening to them. <laughs> they wrote a book. They, they are PhD. They're an MD, whatever it is that those people Aww. are telling us. And that's, that's one of the things I love about the native American medicine wheel, mm. because it reminds us that all those lessons, the locus of control is not outside of ourselves. The locus of control is is in, in within ourselves. Mm. We have control in the, in Native American culture and the, the circle of life, the me, which is a medicine wheel is like a circle, puts us in that center and tells us, reminds us that all those teachers, all the religious people, all the, um, the, the psychologists mm. and the doctors who we thought had control of our mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional lives. Mm. It's all fine, but the locus, the true locus of control is within. Yeah. And somehow we have to reconcile honoring that 
first. So that not that we dismiss everything the people around us say, but that we check in and make sure that it, it, it aligns with our own value system. Yeah. And to some degree, if you are on the path of listening to your intuition and telling yourself that your intuition matters, you're reminding yourself, I matter, I matter, I matter all day long. Mm-hmm. How I feel about this matters. I know my priest, my doctor, my psychologist, my husband, my whatever said this. <laughs> but I matter too. And the feeling that you have when they're telling you something and you're getting the feeling, this isn't my truth. Yeah. The minute that you say no to yourself and yes to the other person, you're saying that the locus of control is outside of yourself. Yeah. And I guess going back to what we were saying at the beginning, it's our ancestors are helping us to trust our divine light and always trust in it no matter what. And it's I, I love the way that you just explained all that because it was like even with my story, my dear, when we, we spoke about it on, on your show, um, I got told by the doctors that I had depression. I could have taken those tablets, but I chose not to because something right. inside of me said, That is not what you need. You've you're you've been you've gone through so much, you don't need it. You just need to trust from within. And I went out in nature and I connected and I listened to the voices from within and I and I trusted my path. And I think so like it's so important that we trust ourselves because only we know us better than anyone else exactly and I feel like a lot of us forget about that and I think that's one of the key things is that nobody can be you and nobody can do things like you because you are you for a reason and if something doesn't feel right don't do it (laughs) yes exactly because the cool thing is that you know we all came in with a unique blueprint so how our DNA is um is set up how we are set up at the DNA level is different from every other person. Mm. And our intuition is what reminds us of what we're here to do. Yeah. It's your intuition is how you tap into the intuitive brain in your heart and the intuitive brain in your gut that knows what you came in to do. And we're so busy spending time with the small part of our brain, the mm. frontal lobe that tells us how to fit into society. And we're so busy letting that lead that we're constantly trying to fit ourselves into society instead of following what we came here to do and and honoring that. And so that's why that's a huge piece of health in Native American medicine, looking at uh, at dreams and looking at unfulfilled desires of the soul as part of our our way to to our path to healing, is that if we have these things that we dream of and wish that we could be doing, or, uh, you know, if I had all the money in the world, this is what I would be doing kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's usually your intuition that's crying out to do those things, but it's your frontal lobe that stops you. (laughs) And, and so it's, it's, that's all part of the healing process. Yeah. Wow. My dear, we are coming towards the end of the show. Wow. Um, I've just been blown away with this conversation today. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about the meditations for loving yourself to great health? Yeah, so those are meditations that Louise Hay, Alia Kadro, and I wrote while we were writing the book, Loving Yourself to Great Health, because, and they're in the book, and then we also did them as a CD, because a lot of times what I would find with my clients is that if I wrote a meditation for them, they they wanted to hear it so that they could close their eyes. You know, it's kind of <laughs> hard sometimes to remember everything that was written in a meditation. So we did that as a way to give people the medita- access to those meditations so that they could experience them without having to read them or memorize them. And they are 
really designed to help connect us to the earth. So they're all points of reconnection, connecting us to our body, listening to the signals of our body, connecting us back to the earth, feeling the healing vibration of the earth, because we do know that the earth actually has a frequency and vibration that is designed for healing as opposed to the electricity vibration and the, you know, the radiation vibration that we have from all the electronics in our house, which is actually a stressor for the Mm -hmm. body. So putting your feet on the earth or even visualizing lying on the earth can be um, very healing for the body. So we have one in there for that. We have um, meditations that are designed to help you digest, eliminate, digest, absorb, and eliminate. We have a number of, we also have a sort of how do you just, when you're overwhelmed by life and overwhelmed by everything, Louise Hay would always say, whenever you don't know what to do, just focus on love. Mm. So we have a meditation to just focus on love as a first place to start. And that's almost like doing a sage ceremony because love is very, a very healing energy. And when you breathe that into your body and you feel that energy, it's a, it's a great way to purify the body and purify the mind and get you into a space where you feel ready or calm enough to take whatever that next small step is. So they were really designed to just help people with the mind, body, spirit aspect of healing. Um, There's a lot in loving yourself to great health. It's about changing your diet, listening to your body and choosing the foods that are right for you. And then the recipes that we created um, there, those are recipes that I've written over decades of um, when I was healing my gut. And so I've, I have hundreds of recipes and files to, that are all based on things that as I, as I felt them in my body, as I researched, I would choose ingredients that were designed for balance and designed to heal the gut. So the ingredients are not necessarily easy to find on a regular grocery store shelf because most ingredients on a regular grocery store shelf are ones that are not great for gut and brain Mm. health. So there, there, there are ingredients and spices and all the things that are in those recipes are designed to help heal the gut brain body. And, um, but oftentimes when people are overwhelmed or, or experiencing a health challenge, there's not the energy to get into your kitchen and learn how to make a new recipe. So the meditations were designed as another way to get the body strong and and ground and build this energy so that you could feel ready to sort of step into your kitchen and make one recipe that might help you feel better and give you even more energy. I love that. <laughs> and and Madi, can you tell us about the Well Project? Yeah, you know, it, the, it started out, <laughs> the Well Project, um, right before I went to Rekindling the Fire of Our Sisterhood, which is the women's healing event that I did with my cousin, um, I started dreaming about, about, I started hearing words and sentences in my dreams. I had Ooh. mostly dreamt in pictures. Oh. And, and, and movies, like I would have movies and I would be in the movie and, and that's how I would dream. And I, I wasn't a person who dreamed about phrases and words, but the week, just the night before we, we were meeting on a sacred site called Ganondigan in upstate New York. And, um, it was a very sacred site for our people. And the night before we had our first day together, I kept dreaming, um, all people who come to this land will heal. 
And all that's those words were just going through my head all night. I and I I did dream. I did see people in a big circle in that field, and I hadn't been to the field, so I didn't really even know what the field was going to look like. But I had this dream, and it was what the field looked like. But I kept hearing those words: "All people who come to these lands will heal." Wow. And that's what's been happening. The the amount of healing that's been happening through this community of women has been amazing, and so. Little by little, I found myself waking up with words. I and I would share whenever I would wake up with a dream, or especially with the words, because it was as if something was being whispered in my ear, and and I it, I heard it so specifically that I would wake up and I'd write it down. And so, about two to three weeks after Louise Hay passed, I was watching her. Um, Doors Opening documentary, which is when she started working with people with AIDS. Mm. And this culminated in a lot of things coming together for me as I was watching it, because, you know, I, when you have somebody who's your dear friend, you, you often forget that they were this amazing healing teacher and, and, (laughs) and, you know, life changing person in the world because she was, she was my dear friend. So I was always in awe of her, but to go back and and watch her in action in this work that she was doing, I was yet again in awe of her. You know, there was always these moments that I would remember that, you know, this friend of mine was actually this incredible teacher, you know? And, and so I, I'm watching the work that she's doing and the looks on the people's faces. And it began reminding me of this work that I had started doing with Dr. Judy Mikovits, who's a molecular biologist and immunologist, PhD. And she, um, I had been meeting with her and her colleague, Dr. Frank Rossetti, between the two of them, they have over 400 peer reviewed science articles. And so they're pretty major heavyweights in the area of immunology. And they actually, in the eighties, while Louise was doing doors opening, were working with Dr. Candace Pert, who wrote molecules of emotion, uh, who, uh, an incredible woman scientist and a real leader, they were working with her on something called peptide T, which was helping people heal from AIDS. So here are these people that were all doing uh, in work in the same field, but in different ways. Louise mm-hmm. was teaching people that it was okay to love themselves and to start loving themselves so that they could um, heal. And also, even if they didn't heal, let, we might as well go out loving ourselves, you know? Yeah. So she was teaching them that it was okay to love themselves and that it was important to love themselves. And they hadn't heard messages like that before. And that was epigenetic, even though she didn't know it at the time. Yeah. And even though we didn't have the human genome project at that time, yeah. she was actually working at the epigenetic level with people. And as I would travel with her, men would come up to her and hold her hand and say, you, yeah. I'm alive today because of you. And she, and she was one of the people that started to shift the way people felt about the potential for healing and wow. for, for healing in a way that, you know, when you love yourself, it's, it can be mm-hmm. the beginning of all healing. And meanwhile, Dr. Judy Mikovits and Dr. Frank Rossetti were working with helping people heal with, a uh, with peptide T, which is a, uh, type of amino acid chain that mm-hmm. would block the, um, the, inappropriate amino acid chain that was AIDS, that was HIV, you know, so they were working on healing at the immunological level. Mm -hmm. And I began working with Judy and Frank, um, in this situation where we would meet people in restaurants and talk to them about their health and nobody was exchanging money. 
this was all happening for free. Mm. Like a lot of Louise's work started that way as well. Mm. And um, we would often hand products to our clients across the table that was free or wholesale. We would try to get it at the lowest price possible. And I was watching the looks on people's faces. So I had been doing this work already. And then I'm watching doors opening and I'm seeing the looks on people's faces as they're talking about Louise's work. And I'm thinking, you know, we're miss what we're missing is community. Mm. And we're missing this family, this, this feeling of if we all had each other's backs and it wasn't about exchanging money and it wasn't about, um, you know, anything other than we're here for you and we can help you and we can share knowledge, wisdom, and information with one another. But, but, it, but while creating a family feeling and a community feeling that we could, we could actually engage those aspects of healing. And I believe that's what Louise was doing when she was teaching, because she was engaging the epigenetic um, healing qualities of community and our thoughts and our beliefs. Wow. And bringing people together in the in these in these regular meetings that they were having, which started with two people in her living room and grew and grew and grew to thousands of people in an auditorium every week. Wow. And so all of this was coming together. But I woke up in the middle of the night with the words well. And it was just mm-hmm. I saw the letters. I saw them in capital letters, W-E-L-L. And I, I was seeing <laughs> I am well, you are well, we are well, all is well. And I was seeing wellness and and uh, well-being. And I was seeing these words and, and I, I kind of, I thought, okay, you know, I went to bed and then it happened again the next night. And then it happened again the next night. And I woke up on the third day saying, I've got to do something about this because I've always wanted to do something like this, where a community came together to support people in healing. Because these Mm -hmm. days we have too many disorders and diseases that are confounding allopathic medicine. Hmm. They don't know what to do with autoimmune disease. They don't know what to do with connective tissue disorders. They don't know what to do with Lyme disease. You know, they're, they don't always, the, the, the allopathic way of dealing with cancer is to kill everything, including Hmm. almost you and, um, and try to bring you back to life again, you know, with chemotherapy. So Hmm. I'm not knocking allopathic medicine because they're doing the best they know how to do. But they're, but but if we look at the epigenetics of this, there's so many other things that we could be doing using food, mm-hmm. our thoughts, and community um, to share wisdom and information. And one of the things that I love about Dr. Judy and Dr. Frank is that they they have open minds about medicine. So they're they're in science we know that everybody's an experiment of one and everybody's different but a lot of allopathic medicine tries to treat us as if we're the same person mm-hmm. and that's where i think things go wrong yeah. um we're not the same person we're all <laughs> unique and and native american medicine there's a revival of we have to honor the story of each person when we're collecting data we can't deny the story of the individual because that's part of the data And so this is what I was doing with Frank and Judy. We were practicing in this way and we would go to oncology appointments with people and I would see the looks in their faces. And as, as the weeks went by, they would tell us that they, they didn't lose their hair if they were doing radiation or chemotherapy and they looked really healthy and people couldn't believe Mm -hmm. that they were sick. And they were telling us that what really made the difference for them was this feeling like somebody had their back Mm -hmm. and feeling like they had a family. So I went to, um, I was trying to think, how do I do this? You know, how can I get this program off the ground? How can I get some funding? So I went to the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation, which is a 66-year-old foundation that started um, with with uh, 18 doctors and nutritionists and scientists who 
all believed back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, um, all believed that nutrition had something to do with medicine. And they were all considered heretics in, in their time because <laughs> this was when allopathic medicine was getting really strong. Mm. And, and so they all had scientific studies and research to show the power of nutrition. And these 18 doctors, nutritionists, scientists left their legacy to the Price Pottinger Nutrition Foundation. They've been around for 66 years and they've been, um, their goal has always been to help people heal and thrive through, um, education about nutrition, environmental health and lifestyle, natural ways of healing, Mm -hmm. science-based natural ways of healing. And I went to them and I asked them, they knew Louise. They loved her work. They had, you know, oftentimes written articles. They had articles in their journals about our work and things mm-hmm. like that. And so I went and said, I have this vision that I would like to create a program that is on a sliding scale. I mean, we need, obviously, we we need to find ways to fund the program, yeah. but it's on a sliding scale. So people pay what they can pay. And that includes coming for free if they can't pay anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, they said, yes we'll do this. We'll fund this. So they created a seed funding for this program and we are meeting on a, right now on a monthly basis, we may begin meeting more often than that, where we are gathering together in person in the, in the San Diego, California area and online for people around the world to come and learn about all of these ways that we can help our bodies heal. So if someone's been, has an autoimmune condition or they have a condition that's confounding science, or if like me, they've been told that they have an incurable, untreatable illness, which is what I was told, Mm. go home. There's nothing we can do for you. Um, You know, you may end up in bed at some point without being able to do anything. Mm. Um, And, and all these other scary, you know, potential future things that could be happening. And you know, most of my life has been spent finding the ways to heal myself with lifestyle, nutrition, and supplements. And I've, I've done a very incredible job at turning off symptoms that could have been debilitating throughout my life as I, you know, kind of you bring all of these pieces together. And so I want to, and I know there are others out there who want to be a part of this community who also have things that have worked for them. So this isn't just us teaching people. It's also all of us as a community sharing the medicines that have helped us, the herbs, the foods, the, um, the, the meditation, all of the remedies that have helped us heal. We're going to share that information. And I'm bringing experts like Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Frank Rossetti, um, and other professionals to the table. I'll be teaching some of the classes. I have many other PhDs and nutritionists and scientists who are going to come and teach. And again, it's at a sliding scale. So people come with whatever they can come with to come to this class. And we want to leave no one behind in the healing process. Wow. There's a much bigger vision to this, to this, we're calling it now the wellness project because that's mm. what everybody was calling it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we changed the name to the wellness project. Mm. And, um, and, and if anyone wants to learn more about it, you can go to uh, price P R I C E dash Pottinger P O T T E N G E R.org. Or you can come to my Facebook page, um, Heather Dane medicine woman. If you just put Heather Dane medicine woman into Facebook to search, you'll find my professional Facebook page where I have a banner that you'll see about this project, the well, the wellness project, and you can click learn more, the little learn more button right underneath the banner. And that will take you to our page, which will tell you all about this program and how you can get involved. We also have a Facebook page. So if you look for the wellness project by Price Pottinger, you'll see 
our Facebook page and you can come join there. And we, we do Facebook lives and things like that. And there, we just did our first one a couple of nights ago. And, um, we're, it's really just to make sure that we're answering questions between sessions and keeping people together between sessions. And so I want to invite everyone to any, everyone or your friends or family who are looking for solutions and you really want to either add some natural solutions to your allopathic journey or you want to focus on complementary medicine, the epigenetic aspects of healing, and you want a like-minded community to support you in that process, come join us and um, let every all of your friends know about it because we want to grow this community and we want to support as many people as can be supported. I just want to say firstly, I love you and I honor you for sharing this because it's so powerful and what you're doing Heather it's, it's just going to change so many lives so thank you for for creating this vision alive because I can just feel it already there's going to be so many lives changed across the world with this well thank you and I love you too Gerds and you're you're doing this with all of your work as well so we're all we're all spreading a, a beam of light wherever we can and um, and you know bringing our ancestors and reminding reminding our DNA of the importance of community and the importance of sort of reconnecting, I think, is all part of that healing process. So I honor you for continuing to share these kinds of messages. Oh, bless you. Well, thank you, Heather, for being on the show. And thank you for sharing everything today. Wow. I I feel like this has been the most powerful interview we've done so far. <laughs> <laughs> we just keep getting better every time we talk. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It, it's, I have no words today. I, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> thank you thank you so much because I know this is going to change so many lives and just hearing this interview and people joining the well project sorry the wellness project and do check it out because it's good it's going to blow your mind and you're going to learn things that you never knew were within you that actually are there but you'll be able to see it in such a simplified way which will make sense thank thank you so much and I look forward to our next opportunity to connect you're always amazing to spend time with girls bless you (laughs) I love speaking to you all the time (laughs) (laughs) wow what an amazing interview with Heather I just I love having on the show because some of the things that she talks about it's just so powerful and it's so interesting to know that we can shape and heal our own health unfortunately that's the end of the show before I leave I want to leave you with this quote We all grow up with the weight of the history on us. Our ancestors dwell in the attics of our brains as they do in the spiralling chains of knowledge hidden in every cell of our bodies. That's a quote by Shirley Abbott. For more information about the show or for more details about Heather Dane, visit www.girdshundle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.